Hello and welcome to the Blow on the Cartridge podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm joined by my two friends, Sean and Alex. Say hi, guys. Hello. How's it going? So we're starting a new podcast here, and as such, I figure we should lay down some of the groundwork for what we are trying to accomplish in doing so. All three of us love old RPGs of the past and video games in general. We also love arguing what we like and dislike about them and how we would fix them if we were there to help at the time. Uh, the last one, very tenuous for me, since I have zero programming experience, unlike my two friends here. Um, anyway, since this is our first episode, we figured we would start with a nice, easy one. A game that is so obscure that everyone would agree with just whatever we come out with. Uh, so we decided to start with Final Fantasy VII. gone back we've each of us have played this game to a certain extent some of some of us more than others and um yeah how do you guys feel about like how that went uh going coming back to it after so long well let's start with history of you know where did this game come into our lives um i think i'm the odd one out here in that i did not play it in 1997 i was probably old enough but not particularly I'll go ahead and pause here. We are all, all family people, so there will be some children in the background. We're going to work on that in future episodes, we hope. But for now, we appreciate your patience with any, any background. Um, I didn't come to Final Fantasy VII until about 2002. Uh, I remember I had a Super Nintendo, and so I got my hands on a couple of the RPGs at the time. Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy VI, or as we called it, Final Fantasy III in the yep. States. And I, I told my parents, I just all I want to do is play Final Fantasy games. And I knew that the only way to do that was to play them on PlayStation or in 2002, the PlayStation 2. And so I remember it was actually in 2001 getting the PlayStation 2 for Christmas that year. It's the only Christmas gift I've ever gotten where I had to pay for part of it. But my parents looked at the price tag and said, if you want it this badly, you need to pay for it. And wow. I did. I did. I, I paid for part of my Christmas gift that year. And that Christmas uh, also came with Final Fantasy IX, Final Fantasy VII, Chrono Cross, and Final Fantasy X. And so I played through all of those uh, in 2002. And I loved all of them. They all made a really good impression. But to be honest, I hadn't played Final Fantasy VII since then. So it's been 20 years. And I was a little bit nervous kind of going in. Um, you read some of the stories about Final Fantasy VII's reputation as it doesn't age all that well. But it didn't take more than about two or three minutes for me to be hooked again and to remember exactly what it was that I loved about it. And for yep. all the things that we can criticize and all the things we will criticize here in this podcast, it was a great experience. I only was able to finish through the, the end of disc one. It is still an extremely long game, but um, all of those memories that I have feel very validated. And um, I'm hoping that I'll have the time here in the near future to finish it. Alex, you hated it, didn't you? Uh, I'm going to sum up this episode by politely saying uh, this game is fucking fantastic and everyone who's listening to this owes it to themselves to play it. Um, my background at the game is I got it from my grandpa. I got in a PlayStation for Christmas in 1997. My grandpa, who passed away recently, actually, he got me Final Fantasy VII as a gift because a lot of my cousins liked the game and he picked it up from a Walmart or whatever and got it for me. 
I had never, I was seven years old when I played it. I had never played a game like Final Fantasy VII in my life. I'd played some strategy RPGs on the Sega Genesis. I had played Sonic and Mario, but I had never played a game like this. And I remember loving it and being really frustrated at the time because I was seven. I didn't know how to optimize. I didn't know how to, you know, use the materia the right way. And with the poor translation, honestly, when you have, you know, what is steel as well materia? What does that mean? What is like, I, it took me a minute to get get it. And I did do a lot of trial and error. Um, Wait, how so much time has passed yet? So many things have remained unchanged, really. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Um, but I I loved it as a kid and I moved on and played through the rest of the Final Fantasy games. Um, but I, I, I'd always come back to it maybe once every five years or so, maybe once every six. I played it again when I was like 14 and like that was the playthrough. Like I went back and like I got everything, like I maxed out everything. I got everything, you know, did everything I could in the game. Um, and then as an adult, and we'll talk on this a little bit at the end, I started to get more like trying out mods for the game like this is before the remake but like modifications you make um since the game obviously has a fairly large base there's a fairly active modding community uh and it's a lot of fun to go back and try it a different way something you love and something you you know cherish from your childhood um just see it from a different perspective did you say you you got it when when it first came out then i got it so the game came out january 31st 1997 so i got it christmas what (laughs) For you, it did. It didn't for me. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, for <laughs> in the U.S. in the U.S.A. There you go. It came out January 31st, 1997. So I got it Christmas 1997. So almost about 11 months afterwards. But I mean, within the year of when it came out. So as people might be able to tell, I'm from the U.K. And for for me, I I was I was a little bit older than these two when uh, when Final Fantasy VII came out. I was 14, and it was November of that year when it came out in the UK. I remember specifically because uh, I had been told by my father that it was coming out and I had been wanting this game since it had been announced. Um, I, I I have a little bit of history of playing RPGs. I, I'd played uh, Shining Force 2 on the Mega Drive, which between the three of us is, is quite a game, um, as we might get into at some point. But uh, at the time, I had loved this thing. I, I had been teaching... Uh, seeking out uh, magazines to see just any screenshots, any information that was going about this game. And um, I had said to my father, this is the game. This is the thing that I want for Christmas. And he was like, okay. And then November rolls around and um, I learned that the game shop uh, was going to have it. So I, I asked father for the money and I ran from my house to the game shop uh falling on the way and splitting my lip open uh but you know that did not deter me only to be told that the game would not be it, the game had it the the game shop had the the game on the shelves it was all there like the entire end row was just filled with final fantasy 7 disc boxes and i said i want that and, and the guy turned to me and he said you'll have to wait till tomorrow so that was the most torturous uh, day of, of school in my life, to which I returned home to find that my parents, my loving parents, had bought me the game. And I played the game until Sunday night, until my dad went, are you enjoying that game, son? And I went, Daddy, it's the, it's the best thing in the world. Excellent. I will be taking it away from you until Christmas now. 
At which point my heart broke into a million pieces. Uh, and uh, I, I, I went to... Um, that, it didn't stop me, by the way. That I, I totally... Because my parents are idiots. They didn't know that the game came in, like, uh, three discs. So I just basically... I went into their room where I know they put all the Christmas presents. I took the disc out and just hid it in my PlayStation. And whenever they came up, it was just like, oh, um, this is another game that I'm playing. And they're just like, okay, yeah. I, I, they, were, they were very attentive parents. Let's just put it that way. Um, and I, I loved Final Fantasy VII. I played that game for like maybe 200 hours. Um, and I haven't played it since. So I, I played it for the, uh, for the purposes of this, this uh, podcast that we're doing today. Um, I didn't get particularly far in it, but I have my reasons. Uh, I got to the end of uh, Midgar... And then I decided, because these two Muppets that I'm working with here don't have uh, the remake, um, I took it upon myself to play some of that. So I figured I would cover the same part of the, uh, the game that the remake takes place in. So that's, that's how I'm doing it. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's our stories with this fantastically... Oh, this generational game, this sort of like game that was the the flagship for the playstation which turned the playstation into like the 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 juggernaut that it is the juggernaut of rpgs that it is and i think i think that i love this game more now than i did at the time i There obviously, you know, it, there were certain things that I'm I don't love about it. The the main one being that the art style for the the way that the characters look when we're in the navigational field, mm-hmm. you know, when when we're running around Midgar, because that's all I did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, yeah, we talked a little bit about this. the The battle, the in battle graphics, I think hold up really well. They do. They really um, do. Especially for the era, I feel like, because we talked about how Final Fantasy VII in battle graphics are comparable to Final Fantasy VIII and IX and other RPGs on the PlayStation 1. Um, and going back to it, I have to say, almost every time I've gone back to play it, I've enjoyed it more than I did before. Like, every time the game gets better for me, and I think that's really a testament to like my nostalgia with it, but also that it's on its own. Cause it gets a lot of flack now. I feel like I feel like a lot of people are quick to say that, um, you know, it aged poorly. I don't think that at all. I think the game aged wonderfully. I think there are flaws. Of course, there are things yeah. we could improve upon, but for what it did at the time and for what it is now, it's still a great game. Yeah, I agree with that. Mostly. Like, uh... If I could just steer us back towards the the, the graphics, Sorry. because obviously the the battle graphics I feel like are the the base model for what they ended up using for the other Final Fantasy games, like the um, the shaded sort of uh, weird looking efforts that I have problems with. They ditched them very quickly, and I'm glad that they did because the the game would have 
the 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 next games that Square worked on would have suffered if they had stuck with that instead of what what they went with on the battle uh, sprites. Um, it just makes me wonder who was in charge of those because they obviously had the the they had the better knowledge of the PlayStation hardware. It seems than the the person who was designing the uh, the navigational field sprites. Um, I think they definitely went back to the drawing board on a lot of that and made an yeah. effort to figure out what worked and what did not. Even yes. for a game as good as it is, they they definitely examined their own work to see what they would do better. I think one of the things I, I enjoyed most about going back to it actually is knowing having the knowledge of what happens in the story and having like a, a slightly wiser brain to use it as well. Like I, I, you you pick up on a lot of the things that they're putting down, like in the beginning of the game, more so than you know I, I obviously did with my smooth fourteen year old brain back then. So. Uh, the the existential crisis, the the things that Cloud is obviously, you know, everyone around him seems to be, you know, quite happy with where where they're at in their in their little world, and Cloud is obviously just going along with that, whilst he's having some very serious psychological issues. Well, I think time, you see it from him, his interactions with Tifa too, where like she'll be like, "Are you... it's very clear that she's kind of questioning somewhat, and you didn't quite get up to this, but for the calm flashback that they have." where she definitely wants to interject and say, like, that didn't happen the way you think it did, or you weren't even there for that. How do you remember this? Yeah. Um, and you definitely see a lot of those interactions, a lot of the, like, they really do a good job of foreshadowing these surprises that come along the way when playing the game. Yeah. I actually, the, talk about the graphics for a second, though. I want to remark on how mind-blowing it was for the time when playing this game, how mind-blowing, like, the summon animations were in battle or the full-motion video. I mean, that was something for a lot of people they had never, ever seen before. And on a home console in the 90s, like, it just, it, it blew my mind, and I think I'm with everyone else that, like, especially if you'd played, I didn't, but for a lot of you who played Final, the Final Fantasy games that preceded it, Look at Final Fantasy VI and then look at Final Fantasy VII. Final Fantasy VI is a great game. Yep. But if you look at the summon animations, not even on the same planet. I know. I mean, there is a reason why they made them so long is because they had this new technology that they wanted to show off. Uh, I, one of the Fair things that, that the Wikipedia uh, entries did say was that when they came to decide um, what technology they were using to make the uh, the graphics for the PlayStation 1, they bought new equipment along the board and spent something like twenty million dollars on new equipment for the team to use. Um, Insane, and that's not for it. You know, if you think about like the the size of the team that probably was uh, working on Final Fantasy VII, it's a much smaller team than you would use on a video game this day and age. Like those machines that they bought must have been so expensive. Like that, they must have been spending like a million dollars on each individual. Probably dev like kit. a gigabyte of RAM or something yeah. insane like that. <laughs> exactly. So th there's a reason that they they obviously spent so much money and so much like development time to get this stuff looking like a new upgrade. Well, what's funny is for for having the full motion video and for having like putting so much detail into animations that they did, it's still a very dense game. Like this is a long RPG, a solid 50 to 60 hours. Yeah. And to touch back on where you were going with the story, it's pretty focused. You don't get a lot of like, 
going off into other weird tangents or directions. Like, no, it's a pretty focused story that the game sticks with throughout. And they really do an excellent job with the like fleshing out their characters, having their missions tie into one another. I'm sorry. Are you disagreeing with me, John? Well, I will say that anytime that the the game does diverge from its story, there's usually some pointless mini game involved in it. That's that's one of my main points that I will come to, uh, which is a knock against the game. Well, we're talking about what's fantastic about it right now, so you can shut your little negative mouth here, (laughs) um, because we're talking about one of the best games ever made of all time, a hundred times better than Final Fantasy X. Just putting it out, just saying it, just getting it out now. Just getting yeah, it out okay. now. So for, for those better. of you that don't already get it, uh, Alex here is our, is our troll among the group. I am um, not. Yeah. You, you, will, you will quickly learn that when he's not saying um for the 30th time in a row, uh, he is actually uh, being a troll. <laughs> but um, I'm sure you'll be able, all you, you viewers or listeners will be able to get that uh, very, very quickly into this. Sean, um, how did you feel coming back to the game and seeing all the beautiful things about it you want me to stay entirely positive i i think that it's it's let's focus on the positive yeah i think yeah, we should because... focus on the positive and then go to the negative it's beautifully flawed um you know I, I mentioned that it didn't take more than two minutes that opening in this game it, it stands as one of the oh, best openings in gaming definitely. the music the oh, way it goes it from cgi goosebumps. to gameplay right away yeah. oh perfect could watch it all day per- so good yeah that music, think, when, when you see Aerith for the first time, goosebumps every time, every time I see it. And I think a lot of that has to do with the way they chose to animate everything that wasn't a character. So as we think about, you mentioned the battle sprites look great, and they do. And the FMV characters, they all look great. The map sprites, they're lovable but terrible. But the backgrounds are not. The backgrounds are consistent from FMV to battle to map the decision yeah, to use yep. yeah it, it, i would almost describe them and i don't know that this is the accurate because i don't know the gaming lingo quite as well but in film they have what are called matte paintings and in film a lot of old films i don't know a lot of people know this i didn't really know it until i started to listen to other podcasts talking about film a lot of older movies pre-cgi everything is a painting and they're literally walking around with this huge detailed painting behind them. Hours and hours and hours of work. And that's what Final Fantasy VII looks like. It looks like somebody took a paintbrush and painted the world, especially Midgar. Some of those backgrounds, they look like an artist's life work. And I think part of why that transition is so clean is because that style, it's in the FMV, and then it's in the game, and then it's in the battles that consistency of vision in the art style of the world around the characters, it helps you not to notice as much when the characters switch between battle and map. The other thing, and this again, this is flawed and we can talk about why it's flawed, but one of the most brilliant decisions that I think that they've made is the distance that the camera has in a map. When your character is really, really big, it's incredibly noticeable how poor the quality is. But those scenes are few and far between. 90% or more of the maps, the character can't be more than a few pixels tall. They're running around this huge world, and you only see a little bit. And so your mind kind of fills in the details of what you think Cloud should look like. You don't see his club hands. You just see a character running across a bridge to the Mako reactor. And that ability to use your imagination goes a long way. And so the scenes where it looks bad, and it does look bad sometimes, 
because they're so infrequent, because the camera so very rarely pulls in, it does a lot to help with not even worrying about how it looks, because all you're looking at is the gorgeous background. John, can, I just, can I just make a, a one one thing that I so I, I played some of the, the remake. I, I mentioned that earlier. That's one of the things that I feel like is one of the biggest changes between this original game and the remake. The amount of times that the camera is. <clears throat> I'm not sure if they, they take like direct comparison to like some 3D games where like the, the camera is immediately behind the back of the main character. But a lot of the scenes, and you can change this in the options a little bit, but not that much. The, ca the camera is directly behind Cloud most of the time. Yeah. To, to the point where like you you have to change directions for the camera because it, it's a fully 3D space, not like the, the pre-rendered backgrounds that we're talking about here. It actually gets in the way a lot. Like it, It's actually a bit of a problem. Um, and I just find that such a like a disconnect between the original game and this that I I have to bring it up because it it's it's quite startling. It's jarring. The, the, jarring. Yeah, the difference between the two is 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 jarring. Yeah. Sean, I was gonna say that Woodhouse said it, but that's the term you're looking for. It's pre-rendered graphics uh, or pre-rendered background. Whenever like Resident Evil is famous for doing it, yes. so you're right. When it's like a painting, almost it's very much uh, an image they drew or they modified that your characters are just walking through. So that's where, like, like Nibelheim, like, if you were playing through the Nibelheim sequence or once you get to that point in the game, it's a beautiful little village that your character is interacting with. And, yeah, your character is kind of a Lego person, but it still looks pretty, the environment they're in. Um, I say I'm a lot What, one thing we haven't really talked about too much that I kind of want to get to is the gameplay, because I was actually shocked. So here's how I played it so that I could tell the difference. I kind of did what John did, except I played more of the game. I played the original vanilla version and the modded version. At the same time, in the modded version, I am like midway through disc two. On the vanilla version, I only got to the end of disc one. The gameplay holds up, though. It's still a fun, like, yeah, a really yeah. fun RPG. Like, it's not too clunky. The battles are pretty smooth. It's it's a relatively easy game. And they're fast, game. too. It, it, they're it's, not, it's a fast. That's it's smooth. Uh, it's not clunky. There's not a lot of, um, you know, you can switch all your material from one character to another, and it's not a problem. Just move it all over with a couple clicks. Um... But some of the some of the parts of the game where you have to have to do that with button presses is kind of clunky. Um, that I guess mistakes I can easily be made with that if you're not paying full attention. Mistakes can be made, but at the same time, is it that hard of a game? Like I, I you no, know, especially it's at the not. beginning. No, 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 the, it's very I, easy. I in the past, I feel like I haven't gotten to the end of the game where I have like complicated materia combinations and stuff that. I were like it was more frustrating, and but at that point in the game, I'm like outfitting all my characters like in their own little set or whatever. Yeah. With this at the beginning of the game, yeah, I have fire, thunder, and ice on Tifa, and I'm gonna click one button and give it to Aerith. Not a problem. Um. So 
or even I, I just feel like the whole system is very well done. One thing I wrote down as I was playing that I really liked was how like interesting the enemy designs are. I feel like the enemy designs are so interesting and so varied. Yes. Especially like they're also weird and almost like eldritch and like origin, like especially if you're ever going through like the Shinra mansion or the um, the Shinra headquarters, like after Genova gets out. It's yep. really interesting seeing some of like the monsters and creatures they came up with. And what I see is it's not all great, but I see artists who are enjoying having this 3D platform to work through, like to and to work on. It's funny when you compare it to, let's say, something like the Persona series, because that that's 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 a series that's well liked and you know has a, a similar like sort of. Yeah, I think we all like. Um, they have a, a a series of of monsters that get reused, and that's not the case here. Like a lot of a, a lot of some, like some really do, strange, but not a lot. A lot of really strange uh, enemies, like the, the there's one in particular, the uh, the house. You know, the, yeah, the, I thought you were going to say the Hell House the, or whatever. the Hell House. Like that, that's a really interesting design, and they they reuse it in the the remake and basically give it a whole new move set, and it becomes a, a proper boss, and it absolutely well, becomes like a really cool boss. And we we kind of got off the gameplay thing, but we will come back to that. But I wanted to jump back on to the Hell House and how they have aspects of the gameplay fit in with the environment and the story they're telling. Cause you encounter the hell house in the slums yeah. with the idea. And like, if you, and thinking about like, this is the, I think the background on the hell house is that it's supposed to like, it's a monster that tricks people into thinking like it's a nice house, but people can come visit. And the, like that, that's really dark. I feel like that's a very dark, bleak look in these, slums that are on the one hand kind of beautiful of people making the best of what they have yep but living very under this giant pizza yep what was that giant pizza? living 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 under this giant pizza. oh yeah the the midgar house set up yeah, yeah, yeah i and i think i think playing through it and like really analyzing it with the with everything that's happening i feel like you see such an integration of music gameplay and graphics um, because I feel like the graphics and music perfectly fit one another. You hear the soundtrack for this game, and it's beautiful, but it's also very sad. Most of the music in this game is sad. Most of it, it kind of makes you It's feel, very bleak. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah. And then I feel like with the gameplay, it, with the materia and like knowing you're using the materia and that it's sucked away from the earth, it's this maca reactor, which is basically an allegory for nuclear. Uh, energy that you're using it in spite of everything you know that's going on I, it it hit me on a different level playing it this this time yeah because you went seven <laughs> yeah yeah i mean but i have the mentality even when, I, even when I was 14 i was too stupid to, to realize like you know that the game is pulling from a lot of different places for well, when i was seven I was, when I was seven i was probably smarter than you at 14 like that the, the math works out there i think oh thank you very much no problem Sean, it's impressive to think that there was that much subtlety in the game, considering how terrible the translation was. All right, I guess we're going yes. to the... We, we can't hold it back anymore. We have to go to the main problem with this game.
we could end it here. We don't we don't have to talk about the negative parts. So we can just... <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> I don't think it'd be bad to just say the good things about it. All right. I actually don't want to talk too much about the translation, only because I think that Tim Rogers' series Let's Mosey from Kotaku pretty thoroughly covers all of that. I went and re-listened to that series, which I'd heard before while I was playing, because it was interesting as I was getting to scenes, getting to hear how it originally was written in Japanese and understanding what was all the nuance that got left out. So I'll just do a shout out here. If you have not watched the series Let's Mosey on Kotaku about Final Fantasy VII, it's long. It's several hours long, but Tim Rogers is delightful and funny, and it's it's fascinating to see because it goes through a lot of the key lines in, in the game to understand there was so much nuance that got lost in the English. Um, we can talk about the translation if you want. I just I'm not sure what there is to say other than next time. Hire a translator and give them more than two weeks. I can't imagine trying to translate a game of this length in two weeks. I have a lot of sympathy, but it's not yeah. great. It's 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 very blunt. Um, and it's problematic I, for certain characters, let's say. Don is absolutely right. I do think part of it is, at the time, translation was also just bad as a whole compared to where we are now. Oh, and yeah, the fact that... Like, so for instance, one thing, because I did, I, I listened to uh, Games Literature um, on Final Fantasy VII. It's a guy who does, who an, he's a English professor who analyzes video games. Fascinating channel, listened to like an hour and a half long video on Final Fantasy VII. Anyway, one thing he pointed out with the translation that was lost, and at the time I don't think there was a good way to fix it, was when Nanaki, or Red 13, when he decided, when, uh, he joins her party permanently after Cosmo Canyon. Cloud asks what happened, and Red 13 replies, or Nanaki replies, I grew up. That's what happened. In the Japanese translation, he uses different honorifics to emphasize that he is more mature now, that he has actually grown up, and it means more than just the kind of little kid saying, I grew up. Yeah. Like, I, you know, like, which yeah. it doesn't trans, like it does sound as well, but at the time, no one really thought about it. No one really thought about how to translate honorific. So it was just a to B translation. Uh, you know, right. I picked up the object, translate that. I mean, there, there is certain aspects of Japanese that is very difficult to translate. So I'm not surprised that they got that, you know, a little bit wrong. Let's um, compare it to another game, though. Let's compare it to Final Fantasy VI. I think Final Fantasy VI is famous and beloved for its interesting translation from Ted Woolsey. Um, what was it about Final Fantasy VII that was missing? Like, I, I'd have to go back and play Final Fantasy VI, which I would happily do, to really get to the bottom of why is it that we love the bad translation from VI but are pretty pretty uh, about the translation from seven. I think to start with the, the spelling errors are a problem. You know, he are sick or off course, uh, these famous spelling errors in yep. Final Fantasy seven. But what else was it about? I'm not, I'm not hearing a problem, but um... <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't. <laughs> what is it about? the? What, why is it that Final Fantasy VI's mistranslations are charming, but sevens are just disappointing? John, can I take this one? Go for it. Because I know exactly why. Uh, it's because Ted Woolsey didn't translate Final Fantasy VI. That's why. You have to expand on that. What does that mean? So he didn't translate it. He reimagined the dialogue. He didn't do a direct translation. He reimagined what it would mean. So let me get off. I'm going to tell you a, a slight, uh, a, a slight tangent here. So 
in Princess Mononoke, one of Hayao Miyazaki's movies, mm-hmm. the, uh, at one point when the character is eating a bowl of soup, in the Japanese he says, this soup tastes like water. Which in Japanese is a huge insult. That's a big insult. If you say, this soup tastes like water, that's like, they, they did, but did you translate that to English? That doesn't really mean anything to us uh, English-speaking individuals. So they translated it as, this soup tastes like horse piss. Which obviously we understand it's a, a lot better than this soup tastes like water. Yeah, yeah. Ted Woolsey translated it to like Saturday morning cartoon level, you know, Kefka's bad guy and that sort of dialogue. And he had a lot of fun with the script. He didn't translate it 100%. Honestly, it might be a worse translation in terms of what they were trying to say in the Japanese. But he had fun with it and made it his own. So that's where it's better, and that's why it's beloved. Final Fantasy VII, the original, you are getting a straight translation that just isn't... It's going to sound kind of dead by comparison. It's a great game. I love the story. But there are things left out in a direct, basically a Google Translate situation. I think. I th- I think that's fair. I... I mean, um, I think we we should also probably say that there's misrepresentation of certain characters, but still, let's just say leave that there. Like um, who? Uh, who who would you say uh, is Barrett? Mis- Barrett, perhaps. How? The Square Enix trend in the late '90s of translating accents and c- conveying a character through spelling, uh, which I think is epitomized by Harl, Harley, and Kid in Chrono Cross. It has aged poorly, and it's, uh, I think, you know, I, I don't want to try to sound like a kid here, but cringe. Cringe is an accurate word to describe that decision, uh, and it's not yeah. a decision that I agree with either. I think, yeah. I, 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 you're, you both are right. Let me begin by saying that, and all, seri- all serious and see two are right. I, I think it really does his character a lot of misjustice, too, because if you actually listen to what he says, Barrett's a character who cares a lot. It, so... He, in the remake, that that very thing is addressed, and it's addressed very well. He actually comes across as slightly evangelical uh, in some of the speeches that he gives, but he gets to the point that he actually cares very, very much about the the state of the planet. Whereas in the original game, it just seems like he's he's pissed all the time, uh, and just is is like really wanting to fight everybody. It's interesting because I got to the part of the huge materia and like, I, you know, I'm, I'm going, I talked to all the characters on the bridge to see what they have to say. And it was, I, it was interesting because I, I, you're playing as Sid and I had him ask Barrett you know, or talk to Barrett and Barrett says, I can't wait to get some huge materia and I was so cloud and he gets back. And I was thinking like at, earlier he was saying, you know, he didn't care if Cla- whatever clouds a weirdo, whatever, you know, I'm not going to worry about him. You do care though. He's going to get better. He's going to get back. And like, it's a subtle change. No one pointed it out. But seeing it and looking at it as an adult, like, you see, he does care. He does have a heart. And that's not saying that necessarily gets translated with all the dialogue choices they made with his character for... They definitely or... do a, a better a better job of that in the remake. There, there are several very subtle things that you go, ah... Yes, that makes sense because of the way that the, the person's in that headspace at this particular time. There's a, there's a point where like um, uh, Cloud very early on says, um, "You've changed a lot in five years," 
I haven't seen you for five years. And Tifa just like looks at him strange and then just carries on normally because she knows that that isn't true. And, you know, it, it's things like that. There's also a scene where uh, Barrett is, it, you know, when um, Cloud gets on the train at the very beginning of the game, uh, when he's running away from the, the Shinra yeah, troops. Yeah, when he jumps off, when he jumps, yeah. Yeah, and he jumps through the, the, the cart into into the train. Um, in the, it, he does. There's a scene there where Barrett is, uh, he looks fidgety. He looks worried. And that just it just pulls into the you fact know that he's like, worried about Cloud. He's worried about Cloud because he didn't get onto the train with, with everyone else. The the original game doesn't point to anything like that. That so these two guys haven't played the remake. I suggest if you get chance to and Steam, the the Steam version isn't like eighty bucks or however much it is because it's a ridiculous 70, amount. And that's what I'm it's waiting a, for is a price drop. It's a ridiculous price. Um, but when it does drop, I suggest you guys play it because it's actually a. I had forgotten how good it was. It's it's an amazing game. That's actually so touching on what you said, talking about Barrett fidgeting. That's yeah. thing I actually like about the Lego characters in the original is that you get a lot of emotion out of even them just being Lego characters. You see those kind of reactions sometimes. You see them fidgeting or moving their heads some way or like shaking their head or kicking their heel or something. In almost every scene. In Tifa, you see that a lot. You see that with reactions to things Cloud says or does. And if she's ever in the background, you'll see like it's like she's watching him like to see what he's gonna say or do. Uh so you you reminded me about something that I remember reading in the Wikipedia, because that's that's all I'm good for right now. Uh is <laughs> is that they Square chose to animate the uh the, the main characters like that. Because they had seen um, Alone in the Dark on the PC from 1992. <laughs> and they looked at those. And when they were choosing whether or not to use the 2D sprites or 3D models, they went with the 3D models because of that game and how uh, emotive those particular characters could be. So I, I think that plays into the fact that, you know, you're saying that they yeah. are actually very emotive, they made uh, even if I don't it. like the way they look. So we got translation. The... Yeah, this seems like a good time to segue to graphics. And I didn't have a chance to talk too much about the battle graphics before, but I do want to throw out there, this is an interesting point that, you're, that you've just made, John, which is you had said earlier that the, the enemies in this game look great in battle. But again, going back to Final Fantasy VI, do they? And, and, and I, I, will, I will present my case. I'm not trying to say they don't look great. They do. But when we think about Final Fantasy VI, which has pre-rendered enemies in addition to pre-rendered uh, backgrounds, they don't emote, they don't move. You, the yeah. summons you mentioned, when a summon comes on screen, it flashes on screen, it vibrates, and then it goes away. JPEG but, oh my, pops up. But oh my goodness, the detail in those, in those sprites for the summons, for the enemies, it's leagues beyond what Final Fantasy VII has. But I think you're right, yeah. John. I think, the, I think the fact that you can emote with a 3D character and you can't emote with a static image is worth everything. So when I talk about, you know, what's, what's wrong with the graphics, I think this is probably not the conversation that's worth having about the graphics. I think what you touched on earlier is more interesting, and I'd like to ex expand on it. And if you just want to shit on the graphics, then please, you're welcome to. But what actually stood out the most to me in this past playthrough was how slow it makes everything. So I played this game on a version that has speed up, right? The newer versions have an option to speed things up. 
Yeah. And oh my goodness, were there a lot of times where I felt like I needed it because the the speed with which things happen, and I think it really is because they just want to show things off. The speed that Cloud moves on the map, the speed of the summons in battle or some of the enemy spells, and honestly, the worst one, the speed of some of the, the cutscenes, not the not the FMVs, the cutscenes. Um, you know, at the end of disc one, and I'll go ahead and for the sake of our viewers, there's probably going to be one viewer or listener who's never played the game. Something happens at the end of disc one. It's a big deal. And the following cutscene, when all of the characters come together, and uh, I think it's Yuffie was in my party, but it's probably just one of your two party members, comes up to Cloud and gives Cloud a hug. It's got to be 30 seconds. They slowly walk over and they give Cloud a hug and then they walk away. Or when Cloud has to give the materia to Sephiroth, which is a pivotal moment early in, earlier in disc one, it must take 30 seconds for him to walk across the room to hand him the materia. It's just unforgivably slow. No, but that's I fucking ask. great. That's great. Oh, that's exactly that's... what I, I wanted to ask no, that. Because okay, so I, Sean's totally, wrong. With, Here's I'm my with... question. Here's my question. Go on. By being slower, you create atmosphere at the expense of, in my opinion, pace. But is that a good thing or not? Is it better to have the, 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 the snappy pace? Or is it better to be, in my opinion, unforgivably slow because of the atmosphere it builds? So I'll pitch mm -hmm. that to the two of you. It sounds like I know where you're going to land. Sean, you can, or I'm sorry, John, you can go first. Uh, I will, I'll save I, my diatribe for after. Yeah, mine's going to be quite short. I, I feel like you need to come from that, from the perspective of somebody playing it for the first time. Because the atmosphere that that creates from, because if I remember correctly, you can struggle in that, in that section. When you're about to hand the material to Sephiroth, you can struggle to try and get away. It doesn't make any difference, but it still adds to the atmosphere that the scene is trying to create. Not just that, it makes you sit with it. You, the player, have to suffer and watch as your character hands over the black material to Sephiroth. You can't escape. You can't get out of it. You have to sit and watch. Later on, your character is forced by Sephiroth to almost murder a friend of his. It's an Andrew Ryan moment. They did Bioshock 1 like 20 years before Bioshock 1 because the only way to proceed is to raise your sword. You can't otherwise. You can't get out of it. You can't, if you want to keep playing this game, if you want to see the ending, you have to. And you're right. It builds atmosphere. It can be slow. It's to make you sit with it. It's to make you feel what everyone else is feeling. Because I remember I sat through it twice. I sat through it twice. So I play, was playing simultaneously two different versions. And both versions had this. And when I'm having to sit and raise my sword, and I don't get a choice. If I want to keep playing it, if I want to proceed, I have to do this. It makes you sit and suffer with all the characters doing it. And when a certain character dies and Yuffie goes and gives him a hug, because I had Yuffie in my party for that too, it makes me want to shed a tear because I know what it means. I know what he wants. I am. I'm actually getting emotional talking about it right now. <laughs> it hurts. It's uncomfortable. I, I can and understand... You, I can understand some of what, what Sean is saying, because obviously, you know, playing the game when you know where the progression in the story is taking place, 
there are obviously certain bits that you're looking forward to and certain bits that you're not. It was so like the you fifth across... time I'm playing it, dog, and, it didn't, and I still enjoyed every second of it. But I like Evangelion, so maybe I'm the weirdo here. Just no, I, I like Evangelion too. That that scene where they're in the elevator. Elevator, that's what I was saying. Elevator, was saying scene. that I was saying yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, man, he'd hate the elevator scene. I love that fucking scene. <laughs> Sean, do you watch Evangelion? Have you ever watched Evangelion? I, I've never heard of it. Um, oh. I'm sure. I'm sure that it would be a, a miserable experience. It is. It is. It, it is. is. But it, it, that that plays into the tone of the entire piece. So um, it's supposed to be miserable. No, it. I think. I play. I mean, I played newer, two newer versions. Well, I only played. I played one, the original PlayStation One version, emulated, and then I played another, a modified PC version with all the mods that I was talking about earlier. Um, and I feel like both versions, in that regard, have good pacing because also the things you're talking about are few and far between. I'm not saying those are even the best parts of the game. I would say that's not that common. Most of the time you're exploring villages you're you know play you know you're battling enemies and you get to these scenes and are they a little long sometimes sure um maybe sometimes they're a little dragged out but i don't think it ruins the pacing at all i think it's a very dense game and i think they crammed in a lot of story that they paced through paced well throughout to, to be fair to sean i will agree on the, some of the battles because the the late game is pretty much predetermined by who can use the the summons the best you know if you win or lose depends on how many times you can use knights of the round uh in in certain ways that is how you get through i played through the whole game the first time without getting knights of the round or even knowing what that was or chocobo breeding and it was hard but not in any way impossible. I did it. I mean, I had like good enemy skills. I had like bolt three and ice three and fire three. And like my characters were doing good damage. You know, I had some ultimate weapons and like I managed without that. And it wasn't a slog because I realized that like there are other strategies and just sitting through the nights of the round. That's all they are. But for the summons, because they're, they're obviously the, this is the first time that they've been able to do these kinds of animations to the to the level they that they were doing, it. they had fun with it and made them way too long. And obviously, as the games changed in in next, like in Final Fantasy VIII, let's say the the next game, they made them significantly shorter. I so, agree with that, and they don't give you the option to like skip I, through the cutscene. The like, it's like I can go to the configuration options and skip through the exactly. animation. You know. Yeah, I think I think that might be the point that Sean's getting to. I'll, I'll stop and, talking. And then there's Final Fantasy IX, which does the opposite, which is you can make the summon shorter, but at the cost of reduced damage. They force you to watch the whole animation if you want to get all the damage. Yeah, Truly, you have to choose your suffering. Um, I think I'll close by saying, you know, you're probably right. When when you're playing a game for the purpose of trying to get through it for a podcast, these slow moments become more painful. And yep. I did suffer. I did. I did, Alex. I suffered. Um, but fortunately, but point. fortunately. Fortunately, almost all of the re-releases of this game do come with a speed up. So for people who are listening that want to go back and play it, if you feel like I do, the speed up is there. And if you don't want it, of course, you can turn it off. Um, John, I want to hear from you about mini games, though, because I got a lot to say here. Okay, so I 
I understand where they came from with putting mini games into Final Fantasy VII. Because if you were to play with the same battle mechanics throughout a 80-hour game, let's say, on a, on a normal first playthrough, you, if you're covering a lot of what the game has to offer, you're probably spending at least that amount of time. And you don't want to have to have the same mechanics over and over again because that gets boring. So they decided to put in lots of different mini games, and not all of them hit. Some of them are good. Let, let, let's start with the good, shall we? The the bike and the snowboarding are good mini games. They are the bike in particular actually makes sense to the storyline that they're going for. It's a, it's a cool way to get out of that building. Um, the snowboarding uh, just after a certain character dies. Is totally absolutely pathetic and doesn't need to be there. Um, the problem I have with a lot of these is that they they don't make any sense in terms of story progression. I'll I'll take the the one that comes very close to my mind because I I played it just the other day. I I went into the Shinra building and had to complete their little model for them so that I could get a key card inexplicably. The the key card is just there in a drawer that's locked until you complete this little model for them, and now I have the key card to comp uh, complete the game. So it's just... It, it, and th there are lots of these. There, there are lots of different types of um, changes in mechanics of, of the game just, just there for the, for the sake of uh, changing the way that you're playing. You didn't like pushing all the buttons at the same time in the second reactor? No, I... <laughs> counting, counting to three in your head and pushing them all... That one, that one is fairly painless. Let, let's just put it that way. Like, just because it's, it's quick and easy, but it's it's annoying. It's dumb. It, exactly, and that that's kind of my problem. Like the the one of the later ones with the the CPR that you have to do. Uh, that's dumb. Can, pointless. That it, it it might as well not be there. You could. You what could, about Fort you Condor? Could, I dislike. I I. So if I'm right in saying because I I didn't get to that bit uh, again. Um, I haven't done that since like 1997. So, if I'm right in saying this, you have to do the first bit as to complete the game, right? That that's that's not. So so, I'll I'll explain Fort Condor here for a second. Yeah, please do. Sorry. There yeah. are 15 Fort Condor battles. Only one is required. Okay. So For the benefit the, of our listeners uh, who haven't played Final Fantasy VII, we keep talking about Fort Condor. Fort Condor is a fortress in the game. In the middle of your JRPG, you stop and play baby's first uh, real-time strategy game. So yeah, think think uh, tower defense mixed with StarCraft, um, but it is out of nowhere, and it is at one point in the game required for you to play and win this in order to advance the plot. You don't have to win. Do you not? Okay. No, you, you uh, can. No, I'm serious. You can lose it. You can lose and still progress. Yeah. It, it looks like it looks like a bad forever. Nintendo 64 game. Let's just put it out there. It's pretty bad. Yeah. It's pretty bad looking. Um, and yes, that is me shitting on Nintendo 64 because I think it's a bad console. Uh, send your hate all to me. I don't care. Um, Mario Party 3 is fun. Mm, yeah, Go on. No. Anyway, it's it's a bad mini game, and the fact that they they seem to like almost well they do force you to do a bunch of this stuff i mean the the golden saucer stuff as well is is kind of an issue i have with they, it. they don't force you to do that though do they not no, no you don't have to do any of the mini games of the golden saucer or the gold saucer what about the date scene 
you so for the date scene you you don't have to like it's just it's just a uh cut scene basically you just play through a little play and yeah, push right. some button yeah you don't have to, you don't play any of the games or do anything it's and if cute. you're like me, if you go on a date with Barrett, um, you don't have to do any of that. You get to the scene and they say, oh, you're two guys. Sorry. And you actually just you just leave. You skip that entire scene. Oh, which oh, I didn't know. I, I had never done a date with Barrett before. I'd, I'd only played it through the one time. And I think I had a date with Tifa because at that point I was all about Tifa. But yeah, you save yourself the time. You don't have to. It's, it's completely I, skippable. I am still is a cheap all date. about Tifa, by the way. Uh, Tifa is my favorite. Um, if I wasn't married to my wife now, I would be married to Tifa. Uh, love her. Love her. Excellent. You continue to make bad choices. Well done. So I want to ask this question. Go on. What? Go on. <laughs> that didn't come out the way I wanted it to. <laughs> I want to ask this question to the two of you. So when it comes to the mini games, um, I guess what I want to know is, can you make them work? Like, is, is the problem here that they exist or is the problem here that they're just bad? So I, I think that they they came to a very good conclusion uh, after that. So if you if you take into consideration what they did for Final Fantasy VIII and IX, which was replace the the change of mechanics for a different type of mini game, which was uh, the the card game, which is a much more deeper experience. So that when you get bored of doing battles, you can just go to someone and just go, "Do you want to play some cards for five minutes?" Yeah. I feel like a change of pace. I want to do that instead. That is that is a million times more preferable. Totally optional. Totally, totally optional. Doesn't have to be done. When you're bored, you just go, I feel like playing cards for five minutes or an hour or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's a deep experience that matters because it helps you out in the game and gives you satisfaction from collecting all these cards, whatever it is. I think that's a million times more preferable than guarding the, the your, pref, uh, your process through the game behind these things that are just really unnecessary silly, you don't need to do them it's, silly it's mini games yeah yeah it's the, it's the sort of thing you would find these days on like a, a an app on your phone or something it's terrible the fabia 7 uh snowboarding game actually was an app for a while oh, why does that not surprise you. me oh my god so i have to take the opposite side here i like the mini games and i have a different take on this which is that my problem is not that we have the mini games the problem is we have too damn many of them i yeah, think I I think, I, in a, I, I think in a game with fewer of them and more of them like the bike. So let's go back to the bike minigame, which I agree. I loved that moment. It was yes. perfect. And why was that? So I, I, I think it works for a few reasons. Number one, it's pretty well thought out and pretty robust. A lot, I think the worst minigames are the ones that are tiny and over very quickly. I think the button pressing at the reactor, pointless busy work. I think yeah. adding the pieces back to Midgar, pointless busy yeah. work. CPR, pointless busy work. Slapping. Yeah. There's there's too many too many of those and you didn't get to this point, John. But it, in the city of Junon, you have to do not one but two marching order. Oh, I've forgotten all about that. That, that, that. that scene is they're completely. And they're oh pointless. my god, it's terrible. And yeah, I'd forgotten. So I think the problem that. to me, I, I don't disagree that optional mini games are great. Um, they are. They really are great. I think Final Fantasy IX's got my favorite mix of them because there's the card game. There's also the Chocobo mini games, which yep. I think are much better in that game than in Final Fantasy VII. But we don't need to get into that. But if we had fewer of them, you know, if, if we had, say, like six or seven of them throughout the game, the snowboarding, the biking, I think the submarine minigame, which comes very late in the game, that one's pretty fun. I think that would solve a lot of the problem. I, I think that it's it's to me, it's that they happen too often. And when they happen, they're just they're perfunctory. And especially knowing that you don't even have to pass the Fort Condor, the fact that it, you, you technically can just fail and it doesn't matter. 
that to me, it undermines it a little bit. It's like, so I, I literally could just, I, I could just put my controller down and go walk away and I would lose nothing here. That's a bad mini game. A story I mean, required mini game. If I was to do it now, I would literally do that. I, if I yeah. had to do it now. To be clear for the Fort Condor one, if you did that, you'd lose the huge materia and the Phoenix summon. Yeah, so there's there are story implications. There are consequences. But... I just want to be clear, there are consequences. Right. So so yeah, I guess my, my takeaway would be I, I do agree that the other games do it better, but I kind of love the minigames and I would like to see more Final Fantasy games use those minigames as long as they're used well. And to to pivot to a game where I think it is generally done pretty well is Chrono Trigger is a game where I think that the minigames are mostly done well. Um, there's the biking minigame. There is the the puppet minigame. I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. I didn't come prepared with a list from Chrono Trigger, but I like games that have those. Do you count the uh, the court uh, as a minigame? I would count that yes. as a minigame. Yeah, I would count. That's I, I, one I, of the. You go that's ahead, where Alice. my mind. That that's where my mind went when you said Chrono Trigger. I Me too. Yeah. Not, yeah, that's right. Where... It's one of the highlights of the game, and it's, it really it's is, totally yeah. different. It's not common. So, I, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I'm team minigame. I think minigames are great. I think that they're not well done in Final Fantasy VII, but I can see a world where it would be some of the stuff that we were like, oh, that was, that was my favorite part, and it was just, it was too often, and they were boring, I, and they were bad. I think John's right that they perfected it in Final Fantasy VIII, because it wasn't just the card minigame. They also have, oh, like... Oh, they have other things, too. They, at one point, like, you're having to do, like, a fist fight with your main character who's not your fist fighter, like, while you're on that little, like, flying mobile thing, and you gotta punch out the soldier or whatever. Yeah. Like, that's a neat little part of the game. Like, it's two seconds. I think Sean was right, though. There are too many. And a lot of times, it is just kind of pointless. Like, he's right. Like, that's the number one way to say it, that it's just kind of dumb, like... I don't give a shit about putting my, you know, the little model Midgar back together. Go on, John. So what I will say is that uh, if we're if we're comparing um, Final Fantasy VII and the way it does things into a game that is almost universally liked at this point, I would like to compare it to uh, The Witcher Three and the way that it it uses Gwent. Now, it, if you if you use it as a parallel, that that's pretty much how. Final Fantasy set, uh, eight and nine pretty much are like the Witcher three. Whenever you get bored of the Witchering, you can play a few rounds of Gwent, and that's pretty much what they did in eight and nine. And that for me is 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 a pretty much a the way I would make a video game now. Like you know, to to have this sort of like deep um, mini game that you can do whenever you wish. Like that that's that. I feel like Final Fantasy VIII, because it's one of my favorite games ever, uh, is the perfect way to, to deal with that kind of thing. So um, also, uh, since we're talking about like the biking thing as well, um, if you like biking in the remake, there is lots of biking to do. I've uh, seen the cutscenes. Yeah. Um, by, by the way, uh, outside of Tifa, Jesse Raspberry might also be in my whole fantasy woman interesting. Moving swiftly on. Um, <laughs> I, so we, we talked quickly about the pre-rendered backgrounds. Uh, one thing I did have a problem with with those is the way that the game treats the movement of the character when you switch from one screen to another. Now, uh, just to, to uh, bring that together, that 
you can press up on the D-pad on one screen onto another uh, screen. Your character, if you press up, will suddenly be moving at a forty-five degree angle. That really annoys me in this in this game, and it does it quite a lot as well. There are certain areas where you change screens and you're moving from from one place to another, A to B, and suddenly your character is running into a wall for no particular reason, and because of the uh, the, the the battle rate, you're suddenly in a battle that you didn't really need to be, because your character is running against the wall for no particular reason. That can't say it bothered me. I never even noticed, honestly. Really? Sure. I, I play a lot of oh, tank it, control. Yeah, absolutely, it was it was terrible. It was. Um, <laughs> it's it. The only game I can compare it to is Resident Evil One. Um, you know, that's another game that is notorious for changing your orientation from camera angle to camera angle. It's better in Final Fantasy VII because there's load screens. With with Resident Evil, it's a quick cut from one to the other, and it's just disorienting. Yeah. But the number of times that I entered a new screen and then I pressed the wrong direction and went back. Yep. I, I lost count of the number of times that that happened. Um, back to Junon for a moment. Junon is, is an area where all of the hallways are slanted sideways, and the input is only allowed up, down, left, and right. You can't press into, into diagonals. So to walk down that hallway, you have to mentally shift your controller 45 degrees to make it work. It, it absolutely has not aged well, and, you know, of course, a joystick will solve all of those problems. Yeah, so for those of you watching that weren't born in, like, the, the 1980s, we didn't have... Uh, analog sticks back then. We had both times I was playing on this, so I guess maybe that's part of the reason I never noticed. If you play on original hardware, it's a big problem because you're trying to do diagonals when you only have a D-pad. And if you have done that in the past, it's not it's not the simplest thing in the world. Let's just put it that way. It's it's not great. Seven has a particular problem in the in the original hardware on a PlayStation. If you turn on the analog sticks it actually shuts off the D-pad and the analog sticks don't work. Final Fantasy VII is such an old PlayStation game, it's not designed to handle the analog sticks. You can't use them. You can do it in later games, but in Seven, you have to turn the sticks off. And if you don't, you just can't play the game. I remember trying to figure that out as a kid. Why won't my sticks work? Why won't my character move? It's just, it was, it was from an era before they even existed on a PlayStation controller. Yeah. Uh, so I want to point out, uh, to move slightly towards our conclusion. Mm. We've gone all this time talking about the flaws of the game, and we've not once talked about gameplay. And I am going to tell you why that is. It's because for not having a great translation, for having some uh, graphics that may not have aged perfectly in all the best ways, for having terrible minigames, this game is still fun to play. The gameplay is still satisfying. It's still fun. I am going to open up with my critique of the gameplay, though. And that is, I think it's not open enough at the beginning. So if you dive deep into this game, there are all sorts of materia. There are all sorts of combinations. There are all sorts of different ways you can set up your characters. They have added cut materia. So your character does an extra hit. They cast fire and you have the added cut attached to it. When they cast fire, they'll do an attack. They have steel as well. So you cast, you attach that to bolt. When you cast bolt, your character will steal as the bolt spell is being cast. You don't get a lot of those until later on in the game. You don't get a lot of, and they're not really game breaking. They're not, they're good, but they're not ridiculously good. 
And I think the game would have benefited from opening you up to them earlier, to having those be, you can buy them maybe, or just having them more available earlier on so you can duplicate them. Regardless, I think the gameplay, even in spite of everything we said, holds up really well, I think. Yeah, it's for those of you. Sorry, go on. I've just I have to do a plug for for Woodhouse 204 here. Um, I think we've all agreed that at the end of this, we have to ask the question, does it hold up, which is coincidentally the name of a series that he's got going on YouTube. Um, but I, I agree with Alex. It does hold up. Um, and I think you're right. So for all fun. Of the... Like, I think I could get I think I could give this to a 10 year old who's never played an RPG in their life and they would still like it. Right. And I said this at the beginning. I think that, you know, I didn't get a chance to finish the game. Um, I. We've got other things we want to talk about here on future podcasts. So I've got to prioritize my time on that. But if I can find the time, I'll be coming back to finish it. Same. I absolutely will be coming back. I will be finished. May not my vanilla playthrough, but my modded playthrough. And John, can I take a second to talk about mods for the folks who are listening? Uh, all, I, all I will say before I hand it back to you is that um, I might not play any more of the original game. I will definitely be playing more of the remake. Um, I have that on original PlayStation 4 hardware. And even though it's not quite as good as maybe the PC version uh, and it doesn't have the Yuffie DLC, it's still very, very fun. And if you get the chance, you should play it. I will definitely be picking up the remake as soon as I can. As soon as it's really not $70. That's the biggest thing. I yeah, that's that's a stupid that's, amount of money. That's a lot of fucking money to be spending on really a is. game, which I love, but whatever. I will say this. I love the original version, but for anyone who has played this game, and likes it and has not played has not looked into the modding community it's incredibly active there's a mod for almost anything you can imagine the gameplay mod i played was new threat it had all sorts of capabilities all sorts of new story elements all sorts of just little touches by people who love and enjoy this game who thoroughly think it's a great thing and should live to another generation they put so much work into this. If you love this game and haven't looked in the modding community, you owe it to yourself to do so. It'll blow your mind. It fixes the translation. It fixes a lot of the gameplay annoying things. A lot of the main game servers you're talking about, when I played my modded playthrough, I didn't notice. You know why? Because it doesn't make you do it. The mid-car buzzle, the mid-car buzzle, it doesn't make you do it. The button well, pressing this... The Midgar puzzle, it doesn't oh, make you the do Midgar it. Oh, the Midgar puzzle. Oh, right, okay. The Midgar. <laughs> the Midgar puzzle doesn't make you do it. The, um, the button pressing the second reactor doesn't make you do it. The the bike minigame you still do, because it's fun, um, but it doesn't make you do any of the annoying, stupid fucking puzzles that you don't want to do. And it's it's a better it's a better playthrough for it. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Yeah. So I so I think this game holds up. Definitely. I think it holds up even better with mods. But are we all three in agreement that it holds up? Uh, yes. <laughs> Easily. Yeah, undisputably. Yeah. Well, oh, excuse me. I'm Sorry. Glad for our first game. We all agreed. I am certain that we will not all agree on the next game that we play. Alex, but what I are we playing next time? I believe that if I'm going first, because we are all picking out our games on our next episode of Blow on the Podcast, Blow on the Cartridge. Uh, Blow on the Cartridge. 
blow on the cartridge. Well, well done for, for knowing the name of the thing that you've been spending the last hour Okay, on. I looked in the top left-hand corner of the Discord channel and said blow on the podcast. So I was just reading what it was. I wasn't sure what name we were going for yet. I know we're still working on it. Okay. What is the next First game? episode so problems. Yes, very it's much so. Not, it's charming because I'm charming <laughs> and everyone loves me. Um, That's what I tell myself. <laughs> the next game we're going to be playing is Sweet Home. A 1989 NES RPG that was the basis for Resident Evil. The original Resident Evil 1 game on the PlayStation 1 was originally a remake of Sweet Home. Wow, I didn't know that. Okay, that's interesting. So I will warn you now, this game is amazing and it's going to blow your mind and everyone should go and play it. Excellent. Okay, well... I cannot wait to disagree with you on that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wouldn't be a blowing on the cartridge podcast any other way. No, that's true. Yeah, we 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 will rally together and destroy Alex's arguments uh, in any you way. You know shape what? You know what? You won't, because it's I will. It's you'll like the game. That's all I'm I, gonna say. You'll like the game. I not to not to bash too hard because I didn't have a NES uh, growing up. Um, I had a Mega Drive, and that that was it. Uh, I haven't played that many NES games that I actually like, so. We had a nest growing up until I was three, and I was left alone with it, and I put a bunch of pennies inside of it. When was this last week? <laughs> I said I was three, John. <laughs> I was three years old. You're acting the way that you're acting. It's weird. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's going to be our next uh, episode, the, the, the game that we look at next. Um, I think it's probably the place that we should try and uh, wrap things up here. Um what I would like to say is if anyone has any arguments, direct them all to Alex. They're all his fault. Um, you can find us on either the channel that I will be using to put this up on YouTube or either through an email account that we might set up at some point. I um, feed on your hate. So yeah, he really does. Send it all to me. I, send it all to Alex. He loves that stuff. He he actually <laughs> does. He He gets more and more obnoxious. The more emails and hatred that he gets through the mail um but uh yeah we will set up some some ways to get some feedback and perhaps some future games for us to take a look at um otherwise uh that's going to do it for today's episode so uh i would like to say thank you to alex thank you to sean and i've been your host john and thank you we john will, we will thank see you. you next time on the blow on the cartridge podcast but for now see you next time Ciao.